As we do want to honor our uh, graduates this morning, someone asked, Tripp, why, why do you have graduates, you know, dress up in their whole deal, the cap and gown and tassels and all of that? Well, because there's great significance in that. We want to honor you. We want to honor you finishing this very important stage, moving on to another stage. And there's something very significant and has been really for thousands of years uh, about the tassel. For thousands of years, tassels have been symbolic of identity, who you identify with, what your colors are. And specifically in a commencement service, commencement meaning new beginning, moving forward to something else, there's great significance when you grab that tassel and you move it from one side to the other. Because in that moment, what you're doing is you're saying the old is behind me and I am moving on to something different, to a new season, really to something more. How many of y'all remember moving that tassel in a high school graduation? Man, for me, I remember that moment. That, that was kind of when things started to really sink in and, and me I really started just realizing, man, there, there really is something more ahead. I talk to people all the time who look back on that moment, that moment of excitement, that moment of hope, that moment of anticipation, and somehow they're at a point in their life where they feel a little bit stuck. Maybe they're stuck in, in their marriage. Maybe they're stuck in their career. Maybe, maybe they're really trying to just find a sense of significance and purpose and hope, and they just wish they could go back to that moment filled with hope, saying, you know what? I know that there's something more that lies ahead. Well, if you're at that point, I want you to know that there's good news Graduates, I want you to know that this moment of hope for you does not have to be limited to when you turn your tassel. Here's the good news. In Jesus Christ, there is always, always something more. I want us to look at a story in Scripture this morning. A story in Scripture that really, in this story, there's a couple of different graduations that happen in this story. There's actually a couple of different commencements that happen from two people who come from very, very different places. I know we have a lot of schools represented right here. These people come from two very different schools. They're wearing very different colors. But if you'll turn in Mark chapter 5, I want us to notice in this story four things about Jesus because two people very different very different needs and they both come to Jesus and in Jesus they find something more Mark chapter 5 and in verse 21 it says Jesus got in the boat again so he had just finished he started his earthly ministry he had done a number of miracles he just got through casting a demon out of a man in a synagogue and then he crossed over the other side of the lake and it says there was a large crowd gathered around him on the shore then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived 
And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, and they crowded around him. So Jesus was doing miracles. He was becoming pretty popular. There were large crowds that were following him, and he crossed over the lake. And as soon as he got out of the boat, it says a very large crowd began to press in on him. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this big crowd, somebody started pushing their way through the crowd, and they come, and they fall at the feet of Jesus. Now, this wasn't just anyone. This is someone that would have been very noticeable, for it was a guy named Jairus, and Jairus was a leader of the synagogue. He was a VIP. He was an important person. He was someone that the disciples probably said, oh, y'all, oh, man, look at this. Look at who we got coming. Y'all get the cameras ready. We got a VIP in our midst. People are going to be talking about us. This is our big break right here. And Jairus fell at the feet of Jesus. Now, this was significant. Jairus being a leader in the synagogue. It doesn't say specifically that he was a Pharisee, but he was a part of the religious establishment that did not like Jesus. Because he was messing up everything about what they had been teaching. He was messing up everything about what they thought religion should be. And not in the darkness of night, not quietly tiptoeing through the crowd, but very publicly, this religious leader fell at the feet of Jesus. And the word that's used here is literally he worshipped at the feet of Jesus. And in that moment, he said, Jesus, my little girl is sick. Now, we find out later his daughter was 12 years old. She was already in her first year of adulthood according to Jewish custom. Some of y'all are thinking, my goodness, 12 years old? Yeah, she was already in adulthood. But notice when she got sick, she was his little girl. How many of y'all parents who have graduates this morning see your little boys and your little girls walking across the stage today? Yeah. And in this moment... His heart begins to pour out at the feet of Jesus. And he says, my little girl, she's sick and she's going to die. Would you please come and help her? Now, I want you to notice in this moment the first thing about Jesus. I want you to notice in this moment the attention of Jesus. Because in a large crowd, what Jairus found was in a crowd, he had access to Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus doesn't say, all right, well, just tell all your details to my disciple here. Hey, do it. I'll call in a miracle from a distance. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. I'll get to it once I deal with this crowd. In that moment, what does it say? It says, Jesus went with him. I talk to people who feel like, man, I'm so distant from God. 
because of the crowd I run with, because of my reputation, because of what I've done, I feel so distant from God. And surely if I came and fell at the feet of Jesus, surely he's, he's God. He's got the crowd to worry about. Surely he, he wouldn't be concerned with my needs. Jairus found out that day that in his time of need, the King of Kings, the Lord of hosts, the creator of the universe, took time and he picked him up. And he said, man, Jairus, I will go with you students no matter where you go in life no matter what your circumstances are you always have the attention of your heavenly father he always has time for you and he doesn't want to be a distant God who grants wishes he wants to walk with you through the good times and the bad times when you're in pain when you're pouring your heart out know that he wants to be with you and you always have access to him well, let's look at what happens next. It says that they take off, and as they take off, the crowd pressed in and followed him. Verse 25, then we see a woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she got no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, and she touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could, not, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. So Jesus is taken off with Jairus. There's a large crowd. I can imagine the disciples are rushing. Come on, Jesus. Y'all clear the way. Clear the way. We're going to Jairus' house. Man, this is going to be good. People are going to be talking about this. I can't believe we get to go to the home of a synagogue official. Man. And as the crowd is, is being separated and they're trying to press in on him, it says there was a woman in the crowd who had a terrible sickness for she had bled for 12 years. Now, it's important for us to note here that because of her condition in this culture, she would be considered unclean. That meant she had been separated from her family. She had been cast out of the synagogue, excommunicated from the synagogue. She had been cast out of society she, in essence, had been rejected by everyone because she was considered unclean. Now, take note here. So far in the story, we have two different people. They both come to Jesus. They both have a need. But look how different they are. Here, we have a guy who is a man. Over here, we have a woman. Here, we have someone who's very rich. Here, we have someone who's very poor. Here, we have someone respected. We have one who is rejected, one who is honored, one who is ashamed, one who's a leader of a synagogue, one who is excommunicated from the synagogue, one who had a daughter who was 12 years old, one who had a sickness that was 12 years old. You see how different they were, students? But they both had a need, and they both came to Jesus. And it said she believed if she could just get close enough to Jesus, 
to touch his robe, she had faith that she could be healed. Now, two of the three gospel writers that tell this story get very specific, Matthew and Luke, about his robe and exactly what part of his robe she touched. For it says that she touched the edge of his robe. Now, why is that significant? Well, it's important to note that in the Mosaic law, God instructed his people regarding the corners are the fringes of their garments. We're told in Numbers chapter 15 that Jews were to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout the generations and put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And what this did was it served as a reminder that they were God's people and they were called to keep his commandments. So according to Jewish tradition, it was very important that they made tassels and they tied them on the corners of their garments. And when they used this blue string on their tassels, it was a reminder that they belonged to God and were called according to his purposes. Now, it kind of seems like a strange request from the Lord to tie tassels on your garments. Well, it seems strange until we learn that in the ancient Near East, the corner of a person's garment, it represented their identity. It was a symbol of, of, of who they were and what they stood for. That's why Ruth, when we read the story of Ruth and Boaz, and whenever she was pursuing Boaz and, and she wanted to be married to Boaz, she asked him to cover her with the corner of his garments. You can read about this in Ruth chapter 3. Here's what's significant about her, her being covered with the corner of his garment. She's saying, Boaz, I want to identify with you. I want you, I want to give myself to you. I want my identity to be hitched to your identity. Some, some uh, translations render that verse. Spread your wings over me. See, the same Hebrew word means wing or corner of your garment. Now check it out. This is why this is important right here. This idea of identity being tied to the, the corner of your garments, robe, the tassels, showing what your identity is, displaying your identity. This concept is so important. The Old Testament of the Bible ends with this concept. The very, in the very last verses of the Old Testament, in Malachi 4.2, it says this. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, remember the same word means wings, or corners of a garment. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaving with joy like calves let out to pasture. So at the heart of the Messiah's identity, it would be healing, both spiritually and physically, for all who trusted in him. Guys, this is so cool. The Old Testament ends looking for a Messiah whose identity would be that of healer, both physically and spiritually. And this woman with the issue of blood, she would well understand this. So when she reaches up and touches 
the, the bottom of his robe, the bottom of his garment, what she's doing is she's reaching to touch the tassels on his garment. What she's saying is, I want to identify with you. This, this wasn't an act of just convenience, like, oh, I don't, I don't want to bother him. I don't want to get in front of him. I don't want to talk to him. She's saying, I see the significance in who he is, and I want to identify with him. And students, let me tell you, when she identified with Jesus, everything changed. She could feel healing in her body in that moment. But check it out. There was so much more going on here in verse 30. Jesus realized at once the healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? The disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing in on you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman trembled at the realization of what had happened to her. She came and she fell on her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Let's notice not only the attention of Jesus, notice here the heart of Jesus. Jesus is walking and all of a sudden he stops. And the disciples are saying, whoa, 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 what's going on? Man, we got an important task. We got stuff we got to do. Why are you stopping? And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? Now, do you think Jesus is really wondering, gee, I wonder who touched me? No, he's God. He knows who touched him. Why does Jesus ask, who touched me? Why does Jesus stop and look around? The disciples laugh. Jesus, how, why are you going to say, who touched me? Look at all the people, man. Let's go. Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? Because it mattered to Jesus who touched him. He knew exactly who it was. The reason he stopped is because he wanted her to know, and he wanted his disciples to know, and he wanted everyone to know that he wanted her to be known. What Jesus is saying here is you matter to me. When she reached up, and she, she grabbed the corner of that robe. Let me tell you guys, a graduation happened in that moment. Because she graduated from sick to healed. She graduated from shame to love. She graduated from being orphaned to being adopted. And she graduated from death to life. See, by healing her, Jesus restored her to her family. He restored her to the synagogue. And, most importantly, her salvation meant that she was restored or reconciled to God. See, she reached out to Jesus looking for what? For healing, for the hand of God, a provision from God. What did she get? She got something so much more because in that moment, she didn't just get his hand, she got his heart. Man, how many times do we cry out to God and we want his hand and we want a miracle and we're saying, God, can you, can you deliver here? Can you do something? And we're so focused on his hand that we miss his heart. 
See, as a daddy, I understand this. I didn't understand this until I became a daddy. I, I don't want my kids just looking for my hand. Give me, give me, give me. I want to give them so much more. And in this moment, Jesus is saying, I understand your needs, sweetheart. But in that moment, he didn't just want to heal her. He stopped, and by saying, who touched me? You know what he said? In essence, what Chuck says every single week in the blessing. I want to pick you up, and I want to set you on my lap, and I want to wipe away your tears, and I want to kiss you on the forehead, and I want you to know in this moment, not only are you healed, I want you to know you are loved. Students, don't miss the fullness of really knowing God by only seeking his hand and missing his heart. Because Jesus wants you to know, my child, I love you. She, she steps in front of Jesus then. In relationship now with him. It says she's trembling because of everything that's happened to her. She's overwhelmed. She's realizing in this moment that the power of God and the love of God was not confined to her circumstances. But in this moment, this really cool moment is interrupted when messengers from Jairus' house run up and they kind of break up the party. And in verse 35 it says, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There is no use troubling the teacher now. Man. Can you imagine hearing that? Jairus, who's so hopeful. Man, he's believing. He's trusting. We're making our way to the house. And Jesus stops to have this moment right here. And all of a sudden he gives word, hey, don't bother Jesus anymore. It's too late. She's dead. See, the messengers wrongly assumed here that Jesus' power was limited by circumstances. Because Jesus heard him, and he leaned over to Jairus, and he said, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. I, I know the circumstances are terrible. Just have faith. Just trust me. I, I, I know the circumstances are tough. Just look at me. Trust me. We're still going to the house. And they make their way to the house. Verse 37, Jesus stopped the crowd, and he wouldn't let anyone go except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. They're already having a funeral here. Verse 39, he went inside and he said, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Well, to this, the crowd began to laugh at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying and holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old, she immediately stood up and she walked around. And they were overwhelmed and totally amazed at what was going on here. Let's notice not, not only the attention of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, 
But notice the provision of Jesus here. What was it Jairus came asking Jesus for? Initially, to do what? Right, to heal his sick daughter. Well, Jesus didn't heal his sick daughter. He didn't heal a sick girl. He raised a dead girl. What's the bigger miracle here? Raising the dead girl. Jesus gave them something more than they were even thinking about or asking for. More than they could even imagine. Then we see, finally, the instruction of Jesus. Jesus showed up. He blew their mind. His provision was greater than what they asked for. How many, how many times do we f- focus on one thing? God answered this prayer. God answered this prayer. God answered this prayer. Come on, God, are you going to answer this prayer? And looking back on the situation, God wanted to do so much more. And we look back and we think, Lord, thank you for not answering that prayer. Jesus blows their mind with his provision. Then, listen to what he says. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Jesus said, y'all don't, y'all don't be talking about this. Don't tell, as incredible as this is, don't be telling people about this. Why in the world would Jesus say that? There's several reasons in Scripture we see Jesus tell people not to say anything. What seems to make the most sense in this context is Jesus didn't want to be known as simply someone who did cool stuff. He wanted this story right here to be told in the context of who he was and why he really came. See, Jesus didn't come just to heal those who had a physical sickness. Jesus came to heal us of our greatest sickness, and that's the sickness of sin that separates us from God. It it appears Jesus wanted this story told in context that he came not only to heal the sick, but to set the captive free. See, he wanted this story told in light of who he really was and what he really came to do. It seems Jesus didn't want us just thinking about, oh, well, you can, you can do miracles, you can do cool tricks, you can do this. But to realize the fullness of what we really get and who Jesus really is. Then he tells her, graduates, don't miss this. He does this most amazing miracle. And he says, y'all realize this in the context of the bigger story, the bigger picture. Then he says, y'all get this girl something to eat. No telling how long she's been laying there sick. This girl's hungry. Get her something to eat. What are y'all doing? Students, God may have done miracles in your life in high school. God may have showed up and showed out. And radically changed your life, as many of you I know he has done. But you know what? You got to keep eating. So many people are like, Trip, I'm, man, I'm praying for a miracle. Uh, I just want God to work in my life. Man, where is God? 
And I'm saying, well, are you taking any steps toward God? Are, 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 are you feeding on the word of God? Are you coming into his presence in worship? Jairus and the woman with the sickness, they both fell at the feet of Jesus. So much of what we've done to prepare you for life after high school is teaching you how to feed on the word of God and in the presence of God. He said, y'all got to get this girl something to eat. Y'all got to do your part because I've done my part. Let's bow our heads together this morning. Maybe today you're looking for more. You're looking for something more, man, in your life, in your marriage, in your career, in your circumstances. You just need something more. What we've discovered in this story, and you know what, over and over and over again through scripture, and it's true today, and I see it over and over and over again in my life, that whenever you want more, more is found in Jesus. If you're here today and you need more, let me encourage you in just, just a few ways. In response to his attention, in response to the fact that the creator of the world intimately wants to know you, you have his undivided attention, he wants to work in your life. He wants to go with you. If you want something more, would you take a step of faith toward Jesus today? Maybe you're here and you've never taken a step of faith toward Jesus. You've never put your hope and your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross to save you of your sins. To heal you from the greatest sickness ever known to man. Maybe today is the day for the first time you just need to say, I need to give my heart and I need to give my life to Jesus. I don't have it all figured out, but today I need to take a step of faith toward him. If you're here today with our heads bowed and you say, Trip, I've never taken a step of faith toward Jesus and said, God, I give you my life. If that's you would, you, would you just raise your hand right now so I can be in prayer for you? Yeah, thank you. Many hands. Thank you. Whether you raise your hand or not, if that's you and you need to take a step of faith toward God today, would you do so right now in your heart? There's no magic prayer that saves you, but if it's the desire of your heart to put your faith and trust in Christ would you just say something like this to him right now in your heart? Would you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that is my greatest sickness. I know that my sin separates me from you. But I know that you pursued me in Jesus Christ. And when he died on the cross, the shedding of his blood is what paid my sin debt. God, today I take a step of faith. And I ask you to forgive my sins. I ask you to come into my life and I ask you to save me. I put my hope and my faith and my trust in you and you.
you alone. Thank you for saving me. With our heads still bowed, if that's you and you prayed today and said, man, that's me, I want, I want to take that step of faith toward God. Would you raise your hand again just so I can see you? Yeah, thank you. Many hands. Thank you. Thank you. And praise God. Yeah. Know that today you have so much more. And man, at the end of this service, we, man, I would love to meet you. I'd love to encourage you. I would love to tell you how you can grow more in your faith. And I'd love to talk to you. Pastor Bobby, Pastor Chuck would love for you to come see us. Maybe you're here and you've taken that step before. Maybe you're embracing something more today is simply embracing the heart of God and not just the hand of God. You've been praying and praying over God, move, God, move, God, move. And today you just need to say, God, I need to move. I need to step into your presence and I need to trust your heart. Maybe today you need to raise the expectations of what God can do with your life. And maybe today, and graduates, please, please hear this challenge. You need to view your story and even your circumstances in light of God's story. Because the beauty of our stories, and our stories matter, is that they're a part of the most beautiful love story ever, and that's the story of God. So, Father God, I pray today that we will step towards you, that we will trust you. God, may we embrace your heart and not just look for your hand. May we raise our expectations that you can do the impossible in us and you can do the impossible through us. And God, thank you that our story makes sense in light of your incredible love for us. I pray your blessings not only on these graduates, their families, but God, everyone here, as we walk in faith and realize that in you there is always something more. Father, may we share that story now in light of who you are and all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we uh, dismiss this morning, we want to introduce you again to your graduating class of 2018. So we're going to watch a brief video now, and we're going to ask our graduates at this time to come up so we can celebrate you. My name is Ahmad Adams, and I'm graduating.